0: So welcome, Jack, and thank you very much for coming on the podcast.
1: Uh, Lewis, thanks for having me on. Third time lucky. So um, yeah, glad glad we're here today.
0: Yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a lot. It's been busy. So yeah, let, just give everyone a little uh, introduction to yourself. How long have you been hiring and recruiting in this space?
1: Yeah, cool. So i uh, been in world of recruitment for like 13 years, but 10 of those years, Uh, 10 11 of those years has been like in the quality assurance and test space, uh, predominantly recruiting uh, initially London. um, But as yeah, you know, COVID taught us like the world of remote working, I I guess my client portfolio, you know, has expanded beyond the realms of like the southeast of the UK and now recruiting, you know, quite quite a bit across like UK and now eventually into Europe in some areas too.
0: Cool yeah I mean that's a long time it's longer than I've been in in testing myself so really? I'm sure you you can go back uh, further than I can I started out about 8 years ago um okay. coming off a graduate scheme and got in through there I did a psychology degree so I have no engineering background just yeah stumbled upon a company um, who gave me the opportunity and here today now hiring hiring testers so uh yeah it's a a bit of a change cool and then yeah so a few few months ago now um you put out a a linkedin post which specifically calling out like what areas within testing uh people are looking for and which areas potentially people could to find gaps in the market so, yeah, I just want to kind of take take you back to that and see, dig dig deeper into it. So there was specifically a, con, uh, a comment relevant to this podcast. So contract testing is, is growing in demand, uh, but few having experience in that area. So I just wanted to hear your own words around that.
1: Uh, I better watch what I post in the future, I think is probably what I've learned from that. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> um <laughs> No, so it's an interesting statement. Uh, I think that the we're in a very different market now to what we were in last year, and I've seen a diff, like a significant shift in the, the demand for that contract testing experience. Certainly, in like the last like six months, last year we started to see uh, a definite demand and increase for people with that contrast t- testing experience. Those specifically, those who are like testers that. I guess, focus less on like end-to-end tests and focus more on like that uh, component integration, you know, the mocking, the the, the contract tests, so that um, I guess that you've got more stable like foundations to mitigate, hopefully, you know, issues in production. Um, And I think that too, too many businesses, are uh, the conversations they're having is, you know, product owners, delivery managers, they're finding issues in production. And I guess the role of quality engineers is then having conversations with those people being like, look, if we take our head out the clouds a little bit here and focus more on the testing effort here at that unit component integration contract test layer, it should hopefully mitigate these things happening in production. And I feel like that's a lot of the conversations that QAs are having to have, Particularly with the client portfolio that I work with. Now, that might just be the fact that I've engineered my career to work with a certain type of organization that mm-hmm. value that type of testing effort. And so I can only maybe give you one side of the coin. However, it has started to become an increase in demand for that particular skill set. I've seen a less of a demand in that skill set in the last six months. Now I don't know if that's just because <laughs> of <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's just down, down to the fact that the market's been a little bit turbulent, everyone's bearing down the hatches. Or the fact that actually there's limited talent out there, and people have stopped like asking for it on the, the the job descriptions. I do have some stats to back up that that statement, however, because yeah, I thought I'd do a little bit of like investigation. So, for, first, obviously, as recruiters, LinkedIn is. Essentially, like the most powerful, like insightful tool that we have available to us. So these statistics are purely backed off of like LinkedIn. So in the backend search functionality, you can essentially search for I think about twenty-eight different like variations of like you know keyword searches, like locations and what have you. So putting in just like keywords around "pact" or "pact.io" with then like keywords associated around like QA test or quality, but also including words like agile software, so that it then removes people outside of, I think there's something called PACT within the manufacturing industry, so it removes those individuals. You've actually only got 918 people in the UK that has that specific experience, of which 215 of those are active and open to work at the moment.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, So I decided to go like a a step further and just investigate, well, at what point of people's careers are they gaining this skill set and it seems to be that year 7 to year 14 is where majority of that talent pool sits so 336 of those people between you know that 7 to 14 year period is where that skill set sits and then if I then took it another step further again the average 10 year of those people is between one and three years experience so i guess like what does that tell us well i guess that that tells us that those people are probably permanent employees or potentially good contractors that get long lasting contracts i think it's more probable that is perm over contract and i think that it potentially tells us that anyone who's looking to hire someone with that contract packed experience then, you know, they've probably got a tough time on their hands to acquire that skill set, you know, is a a shallow pool, and the average tenure being one to three years. So if someone's, you know, just joined the business, then they could be there for potentially up to another two years before they think about moving on. Yeah. So that's how I interpret that data. It'd be good to get your your, your view on it, actually, Lewis.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think, yeah, what you were saying about the years of experience of people having it, I think, that is something that we've spoken about before in the podcast where it's, it's the learning curve is steep for it. So I think people don't approach it until they're more comfortable with it. And people often come from a API integration testing experience first and then they move into it. So, yeah, I think definitely that relates with, with what my experience is with, with it as well. And yeah, it's really interesting to hear, obviously the pool so so low because that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast is make people more aware of it and and kind of bring more people into the area to break down those barriers of of entry. So yeah, I think it definitely aligns with with my thinking and yeah, really, really interesting to, to hear that from a stats perspective for sure.
1: Yeah, and like it, like it looked into the businesses that own this this, this level of talent pool. And you know, the businesses that I'd say own a majority of that talent pool are you know, Matillion, Booking.com, HM Revenue and Customs, Equal Experts, uh, Sky, HSBC, uh, Lloyds Banking Group, and I think it was IBM uh, were the largest, I guess, like owners of that particular skill set. I think Sky being the largest out of all of those uh, incumbents. Mm. Which um, yeah, I thought was quite quite interesting because they're, they're they're very different businesses from, you know, obviously media through to financial services through to then obviously government. So I thought that, that there might be potentially some trends there, but you know, it seems to be like the the larger I guess I like y type businesses that obviously have a, you know higher levels of integration being like the connecting yeah. between between all of them, which then would obviously make sense. So
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. The use case definitely is for that kind of large distributed teams where you've got lots of integration points potentially across multiple development teams and sites i think that's where the use case really holds but on a smaller scale it's, it's definitely achievable as well and i think in terms of yeah scaling scaling your testing contract testing is something you definitely want to look at and any any other comments around that
1: uh, I I'd be getting interested getting your 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 view, Lewis. You you mentioned obviously like that like learning curve is, is steep, and that's right. That you know probably someone at that like seven year mark would be indicative of 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 that because they've reached level of maturity within their career. Like, if you were new to packed contract testing experience, like mm-hmm. how quickly would you expect someone to get comfortable with with that? In your personal opinion,
0: yeah, I think contract testings. Complicated one because it does involve multiple teams and often multiple languages. So I think it's one of those things where it's not just a case of I can follow follow this blog article and then I can roll it out. Yeah. You've got to get other people bought into the process. And also because the tests live right next to the code base, there is that element of either you need to have access to the code base where the The actual integration code lives, or you need to be comfortable at that level, that unit kind of unit test level. Which the actual writing the tests is not that different. It's not different at all, really. To to creating an integration test, it's just just having having that visibility, having that access, and also having that that collaboration with developers. I think that's one of the kind of entry level areas, but yeah, in terms of answering your question about getting up to speed, I think once you've broken down those barriers, that you can do that very quickly, and then it's just a case of getting the infrastructure in place. The other area where you need somewhere to store the contracts, so either you spin up one yourself, or you you have to get a a a software as a service. uh, a SaaS product to do that for you so yeah it's just a case of infrastructure involved developer involvement and also a mindset shift of okay I'm the one that needs to write a test for a service that I'm integrating with rather than I need to write tests for the service that I'm building myself so it's just again that mindset shift which can be difficult uh, for people to kind of understand but yeah once you're in it can be a quick acceleration to understanding and and being able to implement it it's just all of that all of that stuff that i mentioned before nice thanks for that dude and then you also spoke about testers qas quality engineers focusing on learning the tools and it's one of the bugbears of mine doing hiring as well without learning the kind of Core practices and principles. Um, so yeah, how, how has that come about?
1: Yeah, I'll caveat what I'm about to say, saying that this isn't necessarily my own opinion. I've never wrote a line of code in my life. However, <laughs> you know, when when, you, when you've had like this conversation time and time and time again with decision makers, people I respect and know in the industry. Yeah. It then becomes a bit of a theme. So, you know, when you have then got the mass telling you like this, this, this type of stuff, yeah, I've obviously then got to obviously then start promoting that within my own community because, um, yeah, it seems to be like a disconnect. So, I, I think a lot of testers just focus on. I think some of my managers actually call them tool junkies, uh, just just focus on the tool rather than actually just like the coding practices and the principles itself. So, understanding like the principles of like UI automation and the principles of API testing. And like the mm. principles of I guess like the coding like languages like itself rather than yeah, I guess like just focus on the tools. I find that actually the people that understand those principles really well around coding, they've coded in Java, they normally pretty good and they, they they understand the principles really well, they're normally pretty quick at then picking up a secondary and a third language thereafter and then they're pretty quick to, to picking up the the tools. I think it was Paul Gerrard I was actually having a conversation with around, like, um, I think the last time he checked, there there was about 1,900 different tools in the tester's toolkit. Now, yeah, like, I'm sure that that's probably evolved since then, because it seems like there's just something being released daily, weekly. It's impossible to then get, like, to grips with all of those tools. So I guess, like... it's a bit like being a mechanic really isn't it it's like knowing the right tool for the right job but if you've got the principles of like how to change a a tyre on one car the the principles probably then remain the same for change the car on on like probably a a Formula One car now Mm. I'm no expert in that but you know when a lot of people are telling me this type of stuff then you know there's got to be some level of like truth to, to, to what is being said and I think again like focus on like I guess like not just like independent UI level tests, just trying to make sure that you've got the breadth of like the the the, the test pyramid, so you know how to mm. test that UI, the API, the integration, the microservices layer. I think that the testers that have that breadth of knowledge across all those different layers and the the principles around it, they're the people that seem to get the jobs quickest and seem to add the most value to organisations. Amazing
0: top tips, and yeah, from from my perspective as a hiring manager. I care much more about someone choosing the right tool for the right job. Mm. And you can tell that at the interview process when you ask someone to solve a problem that is outside of the, the usual day-to-day. And what I mean by that is someone who has to reference the documentation and look at the best practices guide. Someone that does that, you can tell that they can do that in any, in any framework, in any tool. Because they they can go to the root, right? And then someone that can solve the problem that they are having via research, via debugging, can do that, whatever. So, yeah, I think exactly what you're saying is, like, learning the, the foundations, and not even just the foundations, but how to problem solve your, your issues um, is, is a much... Much stronger attribute to have uh, when you're when you're looking for a role.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think that you know, obviously, I'm I'm involved in trying to like coach people through technical tests, and I think you know that like problem-solving ability to show your logic and approach to solving the solution. You know, not necessarily need to get it right and up and running, and you know. But I, I think if you don't, as long as you show like your logic and approach to the solution is is correct, whether it passes or fails managers are more likely to take on that person because the logic is
0: is is there cool and you, and you mentioned paul Gerard, which i think leads on to some of the stuff that you've got coming up some of the stuff you're working on so yeah t- tell us all about it
1: yeah so uh i was introduced to paul maybe like five years ago It was definitely pre- the pre-pandemic so uh via a chap called mike Jarrett. um and there, there was an event called the, the Technology Leadership Forum. Uh, Mike invited me to come down and, and check it out because there was a good level of like networking, a good level of community that was, I guess, close to what I was doing, you know, with, with recruiting for quality assurance and test professionals. And uh, yeah, fr- through that initial first meeting, I then become like a sponsor. I spoke at the event and used to go to it on a regular basis. COVID happened, and then yeah, I guess like in-person meetups stopped for um, you know a period of time. Paul then, I guess, like approached me, or Mike approached me, then, you know, in partnership with with Paul, to say, look, would you be interested in, you know, rebringing this back to life? I'm working on something else for the industry. I don't know if I've got the like time needed to to bring it back to life, and I've obviously got the network there to um, yeah, to, to offer it. So yeah, I, I gladly took that on his hand, uh, off off his hands, and we're now in the pre- process of like essentially relaunching that 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 event. So uh, we've. Been busy surveying a lot of people within like our respective communities. People who come to the events before, people who come to the other events over ran previously. And what's been like really refreshing is the demand for like in-person networking events. We've had over 200 people respond, and like out of that survey, you know, we were then you know trying to depict what is uh, on people's minds. I think with the adoption of, or the, the mass adoption of, uh, of AI or, or being on the cusp of that and automation, I think that there is, you know, uh, a conversation to be had around like how AI could impact the delivery of software and testing. So I reached out to my network and yeah, we're fortunate enough that I've managed to find a CTO who he's, you know, ran multiple AI startups. Um, He's the ex-director of data science for AIG, and he's going to be facilitating a discussion around that subject um, of how AI could uh, impact the delivery of software and testing. So less of a test management meetup and and actually more designed for those that have that strategic influence across the software delivery lifecycle who are responsible for quality to essentially come together and network, collaborate, and debate about topic-specific views within the industry. Uh, so I guess with quality being everyone's responsibility, or should be everyone's responsibility, that gives, you know, an open invite for data leaders, engineering leaders, QA leaders, delivery leaders, devops leaders to, to, to come together as that cross-functional leadership uh, event. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting the first one hosted, and that will hopefully become a series that we run every, every quarter. We've got about 100 people that we can host four um so far we've got about 40 or so people like confirmed so yeah anyone who's listening that might be interested in that um give me a shout and um yeah we can maybe have a conversation
0: well we'll we'll wrap things up there joe but thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh yeah good luck with with everything that you're doing
1: no worries thanks for having me lewis
0: yeah i appreciate it